a serious responsibility. Come on, Show the man your power, baby. Blast him! Give him some of that tone! Oh, man. It's showtime. Hey, it's an aerial view podiatry cast back in the basement with Keith Hartel. For another guitar lesson, uh, what was it, episode, I don't even know what the episode number was, but uh, we did a guitar lesson down here about a month ago and been trying to get together ever since, and just because of the scheduling and my foot surgery, it's been difficult to do, but here we are on a sunny Saturday afternoon in October, once more down in the in the basement, and um, Keith is playing my uh, 2009 SG Classic with the P90s. Let's hear that for a second. 
And uh, I've got my uh, 1968 Les Paul. And uh, we're going to just pick up where we left off. But first, let's let's have a little conversation. You were supposed to be recording today, weren't you? Yes, I was supposed to uh, be in the studios of WFMU um, with Richard Lloyd. And why aren't you there and you're down here with me instead is the question, I guess. Because I know where the real party's at. And I'm about being at that place. Um, but that's, uh, the real answer is, um, due to a, uh, I know what, the real a, a, what I would call a non-negotiable, uh, personality conflict with, um, the, the rhythm guitar player of, uh, uh, Richard's band. I can no longer, I can no longer participate in that organization. It's really <laughs> funny because this was all carried out online and in public, uh, on Keith's Facebook page. But yeah, you, um. You were on tour with this guy who, as luck would have it, was on an episode of uh, the Gordon Ramsay show, Kitchen Nightmares. Yes. Uh, and he, um, he, on that show, he turned out to be an utter douche, this particular fella. And in your estimation, in person, he turned out to be an utter douche, this particular fella. Yes. yes. And the thing was that in person, it took a very long time. Um, because he's actually like a, a like a legit sociopath manipulator who can put on a mask that makes you think it's actually the greatest guy in the world, then turns out to actually be evil. Right. Now, I've been around and among, and myself, I, I'm a crazy person, um, an asshole. Uh, I have nothing good to say about myself. But yes, this kind of a psychopath, a shape-shifting snake, I have not come across in my real life. I don't think ever. Ever. And Not my ever. friends are horrible people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this guy was next level, man. Next level. And actually scared me. Scares me. Now, is it really? <laughs> because I think you and I are in common in any number, have a lot in common in any number of ways. And I think really my biggest problem is with people who are deceptive. I, yes. I really don't like yes. when people are not, you know, above board with me and when I feel like I'm not getting the true story and when yeah. I feel like I'm being manipulated somehow. And, yes. You know, and that somebody is going to pull some kind of Machiavellian bullshit on me. I'm not really fond of it. So well, is that your issue with this dude overall? Is That he? That almost sounds like a prepared statement. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. On the nose, on the money. Um, not doing it for the right reasons. And to really get in deeply into it would be, I don't know how much I would want to say about, like, you know, Richard or working with Richard because I really am, do not set out to have a beef with Richard. Right. But I can say... But is there beef now, or is there what? Well, he, un he, un he unfriended me. The fucker unfriended me. I thought that was... I didn't think that was necessary. Like, but, uh, and it's the second time the motherfucker has unfriended me since... But he's thrown his lot in with this, this, this guy. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's, that's going to backfire on the guy. Richard will be Richard. Richard will be fine. He's going to be fucking fucking sorry <laughs> i promise i don't know what way that's gonna happen but i promise and i that is uh i don't know, I, I wish everyone well i hope no one dies 
Uh, well, I'm just glad that you were able to make it here today, but there is something coming up for you, right? You're doing the AOD reunion, so let's talk about that for a second. You're going to be filling in for Jack Steeples on I'm bass? I'm fi filling in for Jack Steeples. Um, Adrenaline OD is a hilarious band. Um, you know, both, they have funny songs, but they're actually hilarious people, and then they're hilarious both I in know their sense well. of humor. I know them well, yes. But also, they're just, you know, a bunch of fucking weirdos. Right. So, um, basically, Jack refuses to play a gig in New York City. Really? Just flat out doesn't it doesn't doesn't want to do it. Won't so do it. It won't do it. And um, um, so I got a message from Dave, and he just said, "Yeah, we're setting up a gig at Bowery Electric and a gig at the Stanhope House." And Jack refuses to play Bowery Electric. Would you do it? And I was like, "Hell yeah!" Um, you know, because I love those guys, and it'll be a blast. And um, will you wear a Jack Steeple's mask or no? Is that going too far? I always thought me I had enough in common with Jack, yeah. although uh, we both used to be taller and skinnier. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. He but, was always a t uh, like a tall drink of water. But I uh, think, Jack. so yeah, he was always taller than me and skinnier than me, but I right. think we've gained proportional weight. Um, so I think it's going to work. I think it's going to work. I think it'll work too. By the way, there's a pickup here. I know. Do you already have a pick? Do you not need yeah, a pick? I, All right. Yeah. Good. You're good to go. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's get into the lesson for just a bit because yeah. I was happy with the way the last one went, but uh, where did we leave off? I don't even remember. What? Well, what, do you do your usual second lesson with me or do you, is it, uh, would, would your second lesson be customized to, you know? Yeah, every, everything is always, I mean, it's always customized to the student. It, it sort of gets back to um, talking about the guitar teaching racket in general. Yeah, talk about that for a minute, because I find that to be an interesting racket, the guitar teaching racket. Yes. you got to really hustle, don't you? you got to be Charlie Hustle over there. you got to be Charlie Hustle, or mm -hmm. if you're lucky, you can work for a guitar bar, and, you know, then you have, like, a really high-level high Charlie Hustle, such as are the great beloved James Mastro. Mm. But um, basically, it's, it's really that um, people have to want to come back to the lessons. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of it is as a guitar teacher, if, if, you know, I've been through my discipline, and you know, we talked last time about taking lessons with Richard. Um, one thing I would want to add to that, because I, I didn't say it enough last time, was that when I was taking lessons with Richard, I, of course, had already been for a long time playing in bands, um, you know, and, and playing publicly, being paid, you know, all right. of that, all that. Like, I was out there, I was in the action. I also, I knew how to play a lot of music I wanted to be able to do. Mm -hmm. um, so, the thing with Richard was, because he was a primary influence, he was someone that I literally listened to his records and tried to figure out what he was doing. So, when Richard Lloyd wants you to do this, like, page of scales... The second that I start to have the feeling of like, oh, I don't know if this applies to what I'm trying to do. I'm just like, well, the guy that you want to be is telling you this is the way you get that good. Right. And so just shut up and do it. Yeah. But if I didn't have a rock star guitar teacher. Right. Um, I, I, I definitely wouldn't have had the same commitment to kind of following through on what he was telling me I needed to do. Yeah. Um, so I really think the most uh, beneficial thing any aspiring student could do is, is try to get a rock star guitar teacher if possible. If possible. If possible. Not um, always possible. Uh, Richard doesn't even teach lessons anymore, so that, that's not an option. Um, but there's always you. You're <laughs> yeah. a rock star. We'll just use you. Okay. That's what I'm doing. All right, that's the best you're going to get in this room. 
in this moment. I am playing with AOD on Friday. Uh, it's good. It's a hot ticket. I won't it's be a there. hot ticket. Of course I not. I won't be there because of my not. goddamn foot. But, you know, you know, listen, have a good time. And your attitude is like, if I can't get in the mosh pit, why even go? Uh, my attitude is, uh, <laughs> if I if I manage to fuck up this foot, yeah. I, I really don't want to have to go back in for more surgery. So I, yes. I'm not taking the risk. No, I'm very... pretty much housebound yeah. until this thing is all healed up. So that's what it comes down to. I have weaned myself off the Percocet, so that's good. And let me know right. if, you, if you need one just to get through today. I'll I would love to have one. I'm, I'm only kidding. I'm, oh, not, so I'm not giving you any Percocet. See? I couldn't. Never I couldn't joke do. around with a drug addict. At least not while this thing is recording. <laughs> never, never, that's right. Never, never. Uh, all right, so where, so where should we pick up? Where's okay, a good well, place to pick up? Well, um, where we left off last time is last time we were talking about the one-note solo. Yes, you were talking about rhythm being a we were really talking important about, part of playing. Yeah, rhythm so rhythm beat was important. And mm-hmm. then what we kind of left off was um, one thread was talking a little bit about um, Chuck Berry. Yes. And an, an, the other thing that talking about Chuck Berry has to do with is I was talking to you about when we were um, looking for the note, the good notes. Yes, the good notes. I remember that conversation. They're the ones from the chords. Yes. So one of my propositions is that, like, in the olden times, like, say, when Clapton was learning how to play the blues or Mick Taylor or, you know, those 60s guys, mm-hmm. which that's as far back as I go as far as having any idea how they learned. Yes. Um, those guys were thinking about, they knew how to find the right notes that fit with the chords. I believe they were looking at that more than here is a box pattern and all this is the good notes. Yes. So we talked about how the way it's taught now is you learn that minor pentatonic scale and everyone gets a handle on it, but I don't think that that is the great thinking for, like you have to think specifically for the chord to to get the good notes. Now, if we talk about Chuck Berry, um, then we only have to be talking about Johnny B. Good. I mean, or for starters, talk about Johnny B. Good because that's the obvious, most famous um, lick, and it's actually really pretty hard for mm-hmm. how you know universally um, taken for granted it is. Um, so first of all, uh, did you ever did you ever tangle with this? With I, this I I I think I may have said this uh, to you last time, but I remember there was a guitar player uh, magazine edition where they tried to dissect. Mm-hmm. Johnny Be Good and Chuck Berry riffs, and I remember distinctly. And trying to learn that all afternoon long. That was very you good, know. except that you. It was all wrong. Well, you just no. Well, you played um, you played uh, Carol. You, that's Cat. That's Carol. Okay. Right? Because right. they both start with this. They both start with... Um... Now, if you want to be... Okay, the question now is... Um, now, to be real legit, we're going to have to move up a fret to B-flat because Chuck Berry plays in B-flat. All right. Is that seventh fret or where was it? Uh, it's sixth starting? fret. Six I mean, fret? But, uh, first finger sixth fret. So, in other words, when you're aiming for that, you're in A. So, if you aim for this... Oh, but here's another thing. Now, if we were playing Carol... Like from like in the style of get your yayas out, they do play it in A. And, okay. But but we're gonna stay in B flat and play Johnny Be Good for real. Okay. So, the first thing you want to get, okay, we'll go back to our bar chord. So if we make a yeah full B flat bar chord now, 
A lot of the trick of um, guitar players, why they don't know nothing, is that if you are a piano player and you're holding down, like, whatever notes your fingers are pushing down, you're going to know what the note is if you played piano, which I don't know if you ever did or not. Uh, not for realsies. Just well, I'm telling you, if, you, fucking around. if yeah. you even started to learn how to play piano a little bit... You would know what the note was. You actually, yeah, because the piano visually tells you what every note is, and every note in every octave looks the same. On guitar, one of our things there is, like, you're holding down six notes... And then you can be aware that you're playing a B-flat chord, but like you kind of think of that as a, or guitar players tend to think of that as like a blob mm -hmm. of a bunch of stuff. But, you know, um, you break it into pieces. When you start breaking it into pieces is when you start seeing the chuck. So the first thing that you can take is now this chord. Um, now, do you know, like, say what we might call an F chord shape like that? Yeah. Now... So that's how people usually learn an F chord, mm -hmm. but really that's just the top four notes of the bar chord we already play. Now if we take this F chord again, now what we're going to do is we're not even going to bother with that third finger, we're just going to do the top three strings. Yeah, we have to, you, need that, you need that note. Yeah, there you go. Now, one thing that's important to understand is once you have those three notes, you have 100% of the notes that are in the chord. So this is um, going theory-wise. I'm just going to throw out a major chord consists of the, the uh, root, the third, and the fifth. Okay. Um, the fifth is the power chord. Okay. And the third is the note that makes it either major or minor. All right. So now once you have these three notes... There's a, there's a major chord. Now, here's how... So Chuck's first lick is this. Which... The, yeah, you slide in, slide in with the second finger to that one. Yeah. So you got... See, what he does is... This is the one extra note. Yeah. 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 So see that one extra note? This one. That's one note. That changes it from an arpeggio into a, what we'll call a lick. Um, now another thing is like, say if you've heard, if you heard this, right? I'm going in a few directions here. Yeah, but I'm like, trying like, to follow you. Well, it's a good thing you have it on tape. Yeah. Let, now, let's say if we go to the bottom, because we know this is a Chuck Berry rhythm, goes like this. Right. So, now remember before when I said a, a power chord is a root and fifth. Right. Now, when you're playing a power chord, the root and the fifth, that's when you have no major or minor, and that's like, you know, the Black Sabbath sliding power chord vibe or whatever you want as an example. When you add your pinky, yeah. So yeah. when you add your pinky for the Chuck Berry thing, you're going five, six. This is the fifth. This is sixth. Now, if we put it up here, right? If you ever heard a, a rhythm that went like this. Yeah. See, that's adding and taking away the same note, except it's just got a different feeling when you have that happy major third in there, because then you're going from a to a six chord. Yeah, it's a color note. Then you're playing the stroke somewhere. Yeah, well the strokes 
the Strokes are very good at using that kind of shit. Yeah. Actually, they they they're very intelligent uh, guitar organizing band for reals. Yeah. Um, so this is very much related to, or or this like or this like. I always want to know how to do that. How do you do oh well, good thing we're at a guitar lesson. Take it, make sure your first finger is barring the. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now what you want is. So you hammer, you hammer on the B string. Yeah. Yeah. Now what might make it easier with your right hand is if you upstroke on the B, and then in downstroke if you. So you start with the upstroke and then downstroke on the E, so that the start pick. Start with the upstroke. So that way the pick stays in between the two strings. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So. All right. So now, after Chuck goes through, now we get the fancy stuff where it goes. Yeah. But let, now let's, let, let's take a couple things. Okay. Is that, let's go back to this chord. Okay. Now, we know that if we add this, that's that... That's the six we were talking about. That's a color note, right? Yeah. Now, if we go one fret higher, that's the seven. Yeah. So. Not making it sound that great, but I see what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But basically, what it, and so the point is, is that this is a chord, and then this is the six, and this is a seven. Yeah. So what Chuck does. Yeah, there you go. That's that's what we're talking about. So when he takes this after So just take this much. Yeah. Yeah. Are you doing that with your pinky? Or I do it with my pinky, but yes. Chuck himself would probably use his third finger. It really depends on what's comfortable in hand size, but if you wanted to... See, the one thing is that if you're using your third finger for this note, I would use my second for that note. God almighty, why that's hard? Well, this, by the way, that's that's why the um, that's the the scale practice. That's where that comes in. Is just getting your fingers to play these specific notes, these little finicky notes. Um, now, but the cool thing, this is the first very well. The first Chuck thing, of course, is now you, we've already demonstrated that all that riff is. It's the top two notes of the chord just being played with conviction and rock and rollness. But like, there's no ingredients in that. It's just yeah, it's root and fifth. Now this lick here, now you have the little flourish, but this thing here, after after he does, he goes to, yeah, now, this is the magic. Okay, for one thing, that particular gesture um, Chuck Berry would tell you, and it's verifiably true by listening to records, that's a T-Bone Walkerism. Okay. Um, yeah, T-Bone Walker played... Um, I mean, T-Bone Walker is a famous blues player, of course, 
but what his style was a lot closer to a lot of what Chuck is famous for, which is um, he was he articulated a lot of scale tones. Okay. And he um, his style was more based on actually playing notes, not as much bending, sustain, make not that BB King shit as uh, Bob Dylan would call it. <laughs> Uh, oh, mad, mad respect for BB King. Not vibrato, uh, not a lot of. Exactly, yeah, because it was like really like I mean that's when you're like when you're talking about T Bone Walker, you're sort of talking about a guy who's developed his style before a lot of technology. I mean, the vibrato and the sustain and the BB King, all that has a lot to do with just like you know, electric guitars, humbucking pickups, and then things being exploited. Right. But the main point is, um, we talked about how this is major. And then this is minor. And then what we also talked about a little bit last week is the thing about the blues is there is ambiguity between major and minor. It's also, it come, and that comes from jazz. That's the blue note. The blue note. Yes, I remember that part. Okay. So I always thought that was just a club in New York. Well, the, the well they use it also, well, as we started to say last time too, is that you can have like several arguments about what note is the blue note. But many, the, the specific blue note would be if we're not quite this, or this, but we're... Like, if you squeeze the minor, that's the blue note. But except by some people's definition, this note... That flat fifth, the devil's interval, they call that the blue note because... That one extra devil note is the note that makes something called a blues scale instead of a pentatonic scale, but that is another kettle of fish. Entirely. But, yes, but for now, let's go back to Chuck. If you think about Chuck, think about just this lick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you've heard that, you know, you've heard some version of that on a Bowie record or any kind of glam record or any Stones record, like... T-Rex. T-Rex, yeah, very much, very much. And all that is, I mean, that's the minor third to the major. And then, now, the Chuck thing, or at least the Chuck derived thing is zero. Yeah. Yeah, what you're looking for is to make sure that you end up back on that, so you go... Now, now another thing too is because that's a high octave version of say if you're going to do this kind of a rhythm, or like say you're playing the Dead Boys, like um, whatever key uh, everybody knows you got caught with the beat in your mouth. Um, yeah. I, I think I'm going to write something like Young. But any version, like in other words, that is used also as a rhythm figure on lower strings, but it could be the same notes. Like you have the fifth of root. Minor third, major third, so you get, yo. Yeah. See that, what you're looking for there is instead of, instead of this. I mean, that's, that's its own like too, but what we're talking about here is. That's. Second finger, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So that's another one of these stock things that's kind of comes out of Chuck. Right. 
So, after he does... Then he's... Uh, oh, it's... Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, is, uh, do you want to teach me? Yeah, I do. No, it? I do. Okay. I'm, no, I just, is it too hard for lesson number two? Is the question. Well, it's never too hard if, if you're curious. Um, it's there's 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 understanding it, and then there's there's understanding and, and execution. executing it. Yes. But there is there's so much important stuff. All right. So after this part, here's the thing. Let's make sure we're at. I'm at that point. Okay. okay sure. Um, well. So let's take. Yes. Yes. Now, now the other thing too, this, that's the root note. So remember last week when we were talking about the center of the box where the root note is? Yeah. There it is again. That's that same note. So last week we were doing a lot of this. Last week we were doing... um. Right? So yeah. now we, we make it more Chuck, and it's... Oh, that's another way to do a Beatles thing. Of, you know, the, uh, I'm going to let you down, leave you flat. Yeah. Like, that's the main lick from uh, You Can't Do That. It's, it's in a different key, but it's... Again, see, this is one of these things. It's everywhere. Right. So so the, the thing is, what you the takeaway is, last week we were talking about the importance of the root note. Yes. So now we know the root note is here. And then we know the root note is here. And then Chuck's colorful way of walking from the top to the bottom is this. First note of the phrase is the root note. The last note of the phrase is also the root note. Yeah. Right. See, I would have to do that about 1,500 times to get fast at it is the problem. Yes, that's, well, that's not the problem. It's just yeah. the reality, man. Okay. <laughs> it's just reality. Yeah, I already forgot it. But it does make a valuable, it makes a, a time of a, a valuable thing that can be mentioned about the, um, the advantages of practicing technique. Yes. Um, technique as opposed to practicing scales, you mean, and practicing... No. Along with? As, well, te- basically that's what practicing scales is. It's because, see, that, that's one of the tricks about um, how people approach what they think they need from guitar lessons versus what they might really need. And, and I, I know that I touched on this last time, is generally people feel like they know the amount they know and they hit some kind of wall. Like me. And everybody. And that, you know, including me. You know, so... Yes. Uh, um, but absolutely. And, and everyone... For one thing, people tend to hit a wall um, somewhere around their comfort level where they can do enough that they weren't trying to do that they feel like they could play. Yes. But... To really get something else going doesn't seem like they, they don't see how it's going to fall into place. So generally, people's assumption is there's something that they don't know about that they need to find out about. What it tends to be more is that um, technique, just simply the way that you train your fingers to handle the instrument, um, you can get away with um, limited technique, and then there are walls that you can't go past without that technique. So, last week we were talking a lot about Neil Young. Yes. Now, if you listen to Neil Young, when we're talking about his soloing, 
Neil Young, I would say, you could call him a guy that as a soloist, you could say that he has approximately zero technique. Yes. Um, and, <laughs> and zero technique and absolute musicality, feeling, expression, creativity, intuition, every... Um, feel. Feel, like everything that you want from a great musician or a great improviser. Yes. But the thing is, if you learn Neil Young, if you try to learn any of that like old man, any of that acoustic stuff, um, you know, tell me why any of that, like, he's like a master of like, um, Carter pa family style flat picking. Mm -hmm. Like in other words, like his acoustic guitar chops are monstrous because I mean, y you need a lot of like dexterity and, and just strength to play acoustic guitar the way he does. Yes. And he's got shitloads of technique for acoustic. And then on electric, he plays similar to acoustic, but he leans more on the noise. He just doesn't have to play as much. Right. And then when he's soloing, he has no technique. But the point is with Neil is Neil is saying everything Neil wants to say. Like, Neil's not worried. Like, Neil's not sitting around wishing he could sound like Ross the Boss. Like, I would like to be able to play like Ross the Boss. I don't think Neil doesn't even care if he could. And Neil, you know, he famously, like, he, at the Bob, Bob Fest, he did the Hendrix version of All Along the Watchtower. And, and... Before he went into the solo, he said, Jimmy, I, I know you liked playing this song, Jimmy, but I want to I wanna play it too. Yeah. And now, All Along the Watchtower is one of Hendrix's most celebrated, uh, like, highest level achievement possible of soloing yes. on every level. And Neil had no qualms about, you know, I'll show you motherfuckers how you play All Along the Watchtower. And it went down a storm because he could do what he wanted to do. But now, if you want to play Chuck Berry, on the other hand, yes, that's the thing where, like, um, you start to when you hear those kinds of like articulate notes, boom, 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 boom. There's just a lot of basic motor skills that have to do with um, coordination that a lot of rock guitar players skip over, because, like, say if we're from punk rock, when I was learning guitar, um, the evil, the bad word would be ingve. Okay, yeah, Ingve Malmsteen. That would be the bad word. And what Ingve is famous for, and he this is and rightfully, rightfully famous for, is Ingve had the sickest technique. He could pick every note really fucking fast. Um, another one though that's maybe less um, divisive in that in that style is Zach Wild for Ozzy. Okay. Zach Wild, what he's famous for I've, I've met both of them, by oh, the way. Oh, is that right? Are yes. they they were cool? And Joe Satriani met him as I, well. I don't they're, they're all very cool. Well, here's yeah. the difference, too, if you want to talk to those three guys. Um, Joe Satriani uses a lot more what you would call legato. And all that means is he is using hammer-ons and pull-offs. If you use hammer-ons and pull-offs, you don't have to worry about the pick. So you can get a lot faster if you're not trying to pick anything. Right. What made Zach Wilde and Ingve Malmsteen, and especially Zach Wilde, the Viking of rock that he is, and especially because he still plays a lot of the normal pentatonic licks he just but he, he plays them super fucking fast and he picks every fucking note mm -hmm. and that's like his sound is the sound of just a man playing a lot of notes really fast really hard but getting that kind of technique together that's like i mean that's why he's a big muscular guy right that spends his free time working out lifting weights like yeah, it's yeah, yeah. it's that mentality about like the bonehead jock um lead guitar player does not exist for no reason like <laughs> It's 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 a thing that people that are physically coordinated um, excel at, yeah. and a lot of times is if it's if you're very physically coordinated and intuitive, but maybe not a big thinker, sometimes works. Yes, <laughs> I hear you, and I I understand the differences in their playing, but yeah. I, I mean when we get back to, yeah. to Chuck Berry for a second, yeah, 
I mean, I've always thought of Chuck Berry as a guy like with really long fingers and massive hands. Mm. So does that help with his style of playing? If I if I have sausage fingers, for mm. instance, does it make it more difficult? Is it just really just you know learning it and and getting it down that makes a difference? Or it's learning it and getting it down that make a difference. And the thing is, is that um, well, have you ever heard of the idea? That some people say that Hendrix's technique is that was actually a little bit shitty. Have you ever heard of that um, controversy? No. Oh hell no. Never heard that. Really? Well, is it happened? That's a thing. That, really? So, yeah, but because but the thing is, like one of the things about a Hendrix is that because his hands were so big, like there's certain things that were so easy for him to do. Um, so so basically, to, to long-winded story or explanation short you will find excellent players on both ends, like people that have physical advantages of large hands or large fingers. And then people like uh, Danny Gatton had notoriously tiny, tiny, tiny little hands. And basically his technique was the highest level of technique you could you know, have. Um, one thing I read that was brilliant, it was like in a piano teaching book, like a classical-minded thing, is that people that have physical limitations a lot of times um, end up with a... Here we go. Django Reinhardt. Right. He what, had two fingers that worked, right? Yeah. Now, he is one of the people that is one of those names that you can just say, okay, well, that was the best guitar player ever. That's one of the guys you can legit say that about. And so the thing is, let's think about what Django Reinhardt had. He had two, only two fingers working, but he had already learned with all his fingers. So Django Reinhardt, in order to be the best guitar player in the world, and he's only got two fingers to work with, well, let's think about it then. If you only have two fingers, all you can ever be thinking about is the note you're on and the next note. And that's it. So the thing was, Django Reinhardt, because of his physical limitation, which was severe, he ended up breaking down where all the notes were and finding a strategic way how to get to them that you never could have thought of if you had all four fingers. And it just happened to make him better than everyone else. So it, it means that, so that's what it is. It's like the more physically limited you are, you have to have a deeper understanding of the instrument in order to function on it. So things that Hendrix, I mean, one of the things about Hendrix that's a basic is, um, I don't know if you can do the thing where you have the thumb around, like you play like an F chord shape, and then you grab the, your, the bass note with your thumb. Is that the F chord shape? Yeah, that's the F chord shape. The important thing is that the, the top two strings, right? Yeah, and then the A string will be muffled, and you have... Now, and then you have the thumb note as well. Right. Now, that thing, for a lot of people, that is impossible. And, and that includes, like, people that actually really... People that can play better than me can't do that. There are some, some such exist. Hendrix's hand, he could just do that really easy, but, like... That's the kind of thing where, like, I mean, I don't know how easy it was for Hendrix to start doing it. I know I had to struggle for years to be able to do it, but some people can never do it. So that's kind of an example of one of those. But didn't he also move his thumb? I mean, he, he would do that thing where he'd be like. Or am I imagining it? Well, um, there was so, so much going on with Hendrix. I mean, I can't say what he did or didn't do. Okay. But his basic, his default chord shapes was basically that instead of a bar chord, he would play this, and then he could put in colorful notes with his pinky, and then he's having the frequency of the low bass and then the top high. So he had this sound, 
versus this sound. Like, if you hear the difference, it like, is a difference. There was right. a space that he left. I hear it. I got it. So, so uh, back to Chuck. Back to Chuck. Okay, so after. Okay, so let's do this then. Um, we can, because you said, okay, I'd have to do it. Your estimated number of times was fifteen hundred times. Fifteen hundred times. Okay. Um, it the real number to make some kind of headway, like on a real thing that you're really trying to do, is something hundred-ish. Like, okay. I mean, just to start to be, which, I mean, a hundred times of a short little lick can go real fast, you know, it's not mm. a long lick. But um, let the, here's a, a major start is that um, if we're going to take, we'll take this as a little thing to build technique, right? Okay. So last week, a topic that was broached that we can get into right now is, okay, whether or not the pinky whether or not the pinky, mm-hmm. whether or not the pinky is um, very much um, in most cases, it's a very personal choice. Sometimes there's stuff you cannot do right if you're not going to use your pinky. And there's even entire styles of music you can't do right if you're not going to use your pinky. But if we're in kind of a blues based rock and roll, you can do a lot without your pinky and you might not want to. And then talking about Chuck's giant hands, that was a kind of a thing where one of the things that made him able to do is just this. I mean, like, just even doing that, right. that, you know, stretching your hands out, uh, making that bar chord, and get your pinky to stretch that far, that is a big, like, that is, that, that's a perfect example of the kind of thing where it helps. Um, now, articulating something like this, it's almost can be the opposite. It depends on where your hand is on the neck, but if your fingers are too big, they can get too clustered together. But anyway, so here's your point of decision is we're going to take these three notes and your decision, and you have to make a committed decision that you're either going to have pinky, third, first, yeah. I'll try with the pinky. I mean, I'll I'll give it a go. Well, I want you to take a look at your option number two. Option number two is? Three... The option number two is three, two, one, but if you want to use your third finger that for that note, then you use your second finger for that note. Yeah. So, in my mind, neither of those are better, um, but one of the things with having the habitual third finger is that with the third finger, like, say if you're doing... Like, you want to bend? Yeah. Because... I'm going to say this. This is a funny, hilarious thing to say because I know it goes against some of my teaching brethren. Yes. This is like, anyone who bends a string with their pinky is an asshole. <laughs> right. I, I had to... Yeah, okay. I, I, I don't think I've ever done that, so I'm thankfully... No, of course not, because you're not an asshole. ...free of being an asshole. <laughs> I say that, that with, with tongue-in-cheek. But that, that's one of the advantages to favoring the third finger instead of the pinky fingering is because if you're using the pinky a lot, then if you want to bend the same fret, you're going to want to switch your fingers. But then even that becomes something you can build in as a habit. 
I think I said to you, the only time I've ever gotten my pink involved is for that kind of stuff you just did a moment ago, where it was, yeah, well, you need it. Absolutely, you need it. That's when it's not an option. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's try it. Let's try it with, um, see how you like this. Let's try that much, so you're going to be, yeah. Now, the trick to get here after... missing is after this same fret there you go right yeah no now take it back to right and now let's just take it back to To fast forward a little bit, so to, we, we so after we get through this, and this is what we've just been working on is then he goes like this, and this is the thing only Chuck would do that no one has copied. Because what he's doing here, these two notes. So remember, we we're talking about that's the fifth and the root. Yeah. These are the same two notes. I don't even know what notes you're playing in. What notes are you playing? It's. If you were in that power chord position, because again, we're getting used to looking at the notes in the chords. So make make this again. Right. It's just these two notes. Yeah. So here's the thing. Yeah. So Chuck goes from this, and then later he's. That, that's pretty badass, and that's that's the kind of thing no one notices. Like right. that's that's the part that hasn't been lifted the way that this is. Yeah, you gotta be flat. You have to have that third finger flat so you can. Yeah. All yeah, right, but use your punk rock. <laughs> use your punk rock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. So, oh, I thought you were doing something like this. No, you know. no, it's just those two notes flat, and those two notes are the same as these notes. So now, let's talk about. All right, um, what makes a solo good? We're talking, let's say, we'll talk about a lot of the different opposite non-Neil Young aspects. We're talking about structure instead of um, improv. Okay. So what do they say? You know, begin, middle, and ending um, theme, constructing a theme. So what he's done here is, this, so we now know that these notes and these notes are the same notes. So now his whole, this whole business... went a little bit past but going from this to that's called variations on a theme yeah so but you know so after he's worked through oh it's familiar we just heard that and then now how he gets into the next section because this is still in the stop time intro before the band even kicked in yet yes so his next lick is this So, back to this again. Remember when we were doing... Yeah. Yeah. So what he does is... Yeah. Yeah. So now it's only these two notes now, and he's going to go... Right. 
And then, now here's the trick. Now, okay, what key are we in? Uh, shit, I don't know, A? No, we A? A is here, B flat. B flat? B flat, right? Now, here is where we start to say, you're going to start to see how, like, see how I just showed you how we are in this chord shape. Make the B flat chord again, just so we keep on kind of looking at that again. Because what you want to start to see more and more is you want to know what notes from the solo are exactly from that chord. Once you know what notes are in that chord, there's not that many that aren't in that chord. And also, it's easier to remember where the other notes are because it's all the relationships. Okay. I'll buy that. <laughs> okay, man. I'm selling. Okay. Selling. Uh, oh, yeah. I was going to start quoting Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, you know, as I'll tell you this, it's like, you, you are a buyer. <laughs> and the reason I know that is because I am a closer. <laughs> I digress. So, um, so we're in B flat, and, and part of the point I was making is that if you're thinking about Chuck Berry, you're not thinking about a guy that has like a, a kind of a scale grid and is poking around through the notes from the scale. He just knows where shit is. So in B flat, at this position that we've been playing in so far, so far everything we've played in that is in that position. Now, when he does this, let's play that lick. Right. Now, his next lick, what he does is he goes, I'm sorry. It's these notes. Like, this is when he, he slides from this. Follow the dots down from, um, um, those are the notes you're looking for is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the thing, now, so here's, one of the tricks about that is that this note is a B flat. So now if you played a B flat major pentatonic scale, you would get this. Now, if you want to take it further down, you, you have like a... But we're not going to use all that. We're just using this much. Yeah. Yeah. So the note that he that actually... That sounded horrible. Okay. Play yeah. it again. Here, well, the trick that... The hardest thing that you're missing technique-wise is that this note, that slide he does, it's, yeah. it's like... From here to where? Two frets down. Only two frets down. Yeah. So the trick is that when you play this note, you have to play it as if you already want it to be there. You slide into it, but it's like a real, yeah, sudden stop. It's, so you get that. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, right, so, right, now this note is B flat again. So my basic point is, now if we're here, Okay, now I'm just going to give you some extra that um, don't worry about learning how to play this right now, but I'll make a basic point. We're in the key of B flat. Okay. So now if I'm in this position, now I'm going to play a B flat major pentatonic scale in that position, which is an awkward position to play a scale box, but 
it works like this. If you have... Now that contains every note from that, but there's not a lot of good licks in that scale. Right. So what people do instead is they lean on the minor pentatonic version and then just don't use the notes that fuck up the vibe. Okay. But now getting back to this. So this is B-flat scale, B-flat major pentatonic in sixth position. Or I shouldn't say fifth position because that's where my hand is. Now if you move down here, here's the same notes. Now what you're going to notice is that's a G minor pentatonic scale, but it's also all the notes of a B-flat major pentatonic scale. Yes. So what that means, now, like I said, I was going to go further than I'm going to try to show you exactly. Don't everything. mind me. I'm just going to put my foot up because it's starting You're to throb like a motherfucker. Oh, my God. It looks so, you know, now I'm sad looking Don't at your sad. foot. Don't be sad. It's crazy. Fucking foot. But um, to visit, like, we, if, a quick, quick lesson. If, uh, if we ever use the term relative minor? No. Okay, well, here's a real simple thing. Um, see, if you're in this position, third, thing, yeah, third fret G. Now, so if you're here, are these notes? Now, if I'm playing this, right, that's a regular, yeah. Yeah. So that, now, that's what we're going to call, like, even though it doesn't have the minor third in it, that's based out of G minor pentatonic position. Now, if we take that same position, we have these notes, but we also have these notes. Yeah. Now, remember that these notes are the same as these notes, right? Yeah. So, now, if I do this, if, if instead of going like this, I could do this. See, now I'm in B flat major. I mean, you've heard that kind of a lick before? Yes, I have. So all that lick is, is we said before that if you have this much, that's the entire chord. Yeah. So now if I'm bending this note. What note is that? It's the fifth fret of the um, G string. Yeah, so you, you have to bend it up until it. Yeah. Yeah. Now if you do that, you grab those two notes. That's the ultimate um, major pentatonic kind of cliche. But I don't know how you're doing that. How are you doing that? Well, oh, it's because of my superior Ross the Boss-like technique. Um, I, yeah. And, and then I'm grabbing these two notes with my, with my pinky. Yeah. Oh, back to that conversation about the pinky. Yes. If you ever want to play in the Almond Brothers or whatever uses... I mean, because, I mean, the... Um, starting to talk about the major pentatonic versus the minor pentatonic licks and feels... Again, opens up an entirely different um, category that um, could go on forever. Um, but that, it's another it's another pinky thing is these legs. These. Yeah. I still don't know what you're doing. Oh, well, see, are you of, bending two strings here no, or, or one? I'm bending one. Yeah. There you go. That's getting in the neighborhood of it. Right. Yeah. Okay. A lot of see the thing is that what you would work on technical wise to get that more powerful, and this is uh, where I could really talk about my beloved Ross the Boss. Um, Ross the Boss actually, because we know that BB King recently uh, died. Um, and by the way, does and all your listeners uh, obviously um, love either the dictators and or Manowar? Okay. So everyone well, knows they who do. Ross the Boss. Uh, uh, Ross the Boss is, in my opinion, 
I think he's the best, like, living, walking around, breathing. You can go see the guy play live, guitar player, mm. who plays rock lead guitar on earth. I, I, I think that. Um, he, um, when B.B. King died, like, he made a post. You know, everyone, of course, made fucking posts. But he, I think, said B.B. King was his favorite. And a thing about Ross that you can notice is that um, if you watch his fingers when he plays... One of the things, I mean, you know that, like, proper guitar technique is that you use your fingertips. Yes. Right? Now, then you also know that if you're doing certain kinds of... Or, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you do that you legitimately want your fingertips flat. Yes. Um, so, what the thing is about having your fingertips bent, the more that it's a pure bend, like the more that you're actually just pushing pressure down into the string, the more your fingers are bent. So now if you go back, and if you watch any of, uh, you take any of these, like a, like an Angus Young or a BB King or like, like any Clapton um, and Ross the Boss, like above all, watch their fingers when they're pushing down notes and you will see they really have the curve where they're able to control, but actually crush the note. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you think about the look of your hand being smashed into the guitar, that looks like you're working harder. But the bent finger pushing down really hard, that's what makes the sustain and the control possible. And then it's also the thing of where you start to be able to separate the bend. Like, I can have that finger bent, but this finger flat. Yeah, I'm just a fret down from you, I think, or two frets. I'm at the fifth fret, yes. Yeah. So that's the third finger? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's hard to do. It is. It is. Um, but then, Am I getting anywhere near what you're doing, or is it... Well, you are. You know what it is? You're, you're, you're doing it. What it is a lot is, like, this goes back <laughs> into when you talk about technical exercises, because... Um, well, and this is also, this is an area where I could talk about Richard again, is that um, what was so great about Richard's teaching style and also why he is my, and um, I, I feel most people I talk to, he happens to tend to be a lot of people's um, preferred guitar player from television, even though Verlaine hogged most of the solos. Mm. And Verlaine is a genius and a great musician and guitar player and the dialogue was, but Richard was the rock guy. Like yeah. Richard was the guy that, that brought the rock and the hard and Verlaine was the artsy fartsy, you know, noodly, you know, jazzy guy. Right. And they both had both elements too, very, very much. But Richard, um, what was great about learning from him was that a problem that you get, and this is also why you have to find a rock star guitar teacher, a big problem with guitar teachers is that they went to fucking music school, and that means that they learned fucking jazz, and that they never learned, like a lot of guitar players that I work with or know that can play circles around me can't proper hold it to play blues and rock because it's this grip which is the um, what i call the strangle grip and that gets back to the hendrix thing yeah so like say if you have a bar chord the thumb behind the neck deal yes. is the bar chord position so what happens is if you go to jazz school or if you go to music school where they're teaching you with a jazz or classical bias it's all about keeping your fingers parallel to the frets and and keeping your thumb behind and, and, and you don't have to learn how to 
you don't have to learn how to fucking crush and strangle the fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing that Richard had was he had a very organized technical approach to teaching how to play rock correctly. And there is very little correct instruction about how to really... And what I mean by correct instruction is probably there's a lot of great videos of guys that might be great players, but maybe like the Zach Wilde video is very entertaining, but I don't know how good of a teacher he is. Mm -hmm. Um, But like the thing is, there's a real legitimate, like just like a classical violinist has to learn their vibrato, if you really want to play like a real, like, you know... Uh, Jimmy Page or Jeff Beck, you know, whatever. Someone that really plays well in that style. Clapton. Anyone that really has their shit together. There's just as much, like, discipline of technique, Mm -hmm. except that because it's the blues and it's rock and roll and it's feeling and fuck scales and it's all this bullshit. Yeah. um, You don't get a lot of good information about just the technique. So, So. Let's start with that a little bit. Yeah. The, um, the first thing is, let's go with, um, let's talk about uh, hammer-ons and pull-offs a little bit. Did, okay. Have we worked on that before? No. Again, I remember spending an afternoon with Guitar Player Magazine. Uh-huh. Because they didn't have the internet back then. Yes, yes, exactly. But, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. A hammer-on is just what it sounds like, so it's... Yeah, now... Pull-off is more of a... Yes. Now, one thing is, is that technically, whenever you hammer on, and uh, we'll start with the open strings, um, because it's, it's easier to learn hammer-ons or work on hammer-ons and pull-offs when you only have to hammer on one finger without holding down something else with the other. Right, right, right. So, for hammering on, let's say, that what I like is the most cliche of all hammer-on pull-offs is the second fret of the G string. Yeah. That's the most, that's the most cliche. Simon didn't say to do that. All right. <laughs> Simon didn't say. There was a nihilistic song that started oh, that's that. That's why I was... Which one was that? I think it was uh, either The Truth or something. The I truth? forget the name of the song, but I remember... Was it Kill Yourself? No. Or Black Sheep? No. Every... No. It was like, <laughs> I could hear, nah, 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 nah. oh, it's, oh, it was, uh, yeah, it was the truth. I think it was the truth. Uh, all right, so all right, let's anyway. take that. Now, so, that technique there. Now, the thing that you get, and it seems like you have it pretty good, um, is that when you pull off, it has to actually, yeah, it has to actually literally snap the string a little bit. Yeah. And then, now, the thing is, the way you're doing it, you have your finger bent correctly. I mean, yeah. obviously, this is a lick that you've put, been playing for 20 years or whatever. So you're, you're in good shape with that. Um, and then, so let's take it from that and then try a, um, let's try hammer-ons up the, um, and that's the open position um, E minor pentatonic scale. Yeah. Oh, and again, finger commitment. We need yes. finger commitment. So we'll go third and second, or yeah, let's go. We'll go third and second. See, after the first string, next three or two. Yeah. Yeah, and then. 
Now, do these again? Yeah. Yeah. Now when you come back, then you have... Now, do you notice that what I saw is that when you did these two strings, these ones, you didn't have as much twist to the pole. And, and it's tricky because they're right by the neck. But once you get to here, you did have the twist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, that whole business of the hammer-ons and pull-offs, that only works if your fingers are curved. Because it's the only way that you either can snap to the, to the pull or have enough force for the hammer on. Here's the problem, too. You see this finger right here? Yeah. Last time we went out in the pontoon boat with our friends uh, Mark and Lisa, we were pulling into the dock. We had been drinking beer all day. <laughs> and I was trying to... I, I forget why I had my hand over the side of the boat, but I had something in my hand. I forget if I was trying to empty out a bottle or something... Um, but the boat bumped up against another boat, like the boat, and and this finger got caught between the two boats, and I haven't had any sensation in the fingertips since then. So the sensation's coming back slowly but surely. How but long this, ago did this happen? This happened, you know, we're, we're talking two months ago now already. Okay, but well, this, at least that's still relatively. If it's coming back, I yeah, because uh... it's, it's coming back, but I still can't. I don't feel have as much feeling in it as I do. In well, maybe this is good for you, I hope. But um, when I brought up Django Reinhardt before, I didn't yes, realize it. That you I am jangled Django, myself. You jangled, jangled. I jangled myself, yeah. I, I, I really hope it does come back fully, but I have a feeling I may have permanently done some nerve damage on that finger. Because hmm. of the ring. It's interesting, too, because I, don't, I think if I didn't have the wedding ring on that finger, I don't think I would have the same issue somehow. I don't know why. Anyway, that's because women are here to destroy us. Come on. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's un for. I hope Tammy never hears this. Just saying. Oh, she won't. Yeah. Like she hasn't added innumerably to your life. Please. Please stop it. The I, I don't know where I would be. Immeasurably. I don't know where I'd be without my wife. She's killing just me. Saying. Uh, <laughs> if it wasn't for my wife, I could just be drunk all the time. And in the gutter. <laughs> yeah. People pissing on you. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so let's look at the, um, we'll go back into the string bending a little bit and, and then we'll approach it. Oh, well, let's check this out. Um, since your third finger has an issue, and we don't know the extent of an issue, although I will say it appears to function fine. But it does. I mean, it does. It's, it's, I think it's, for this, it's okay. I'm okay. Let's try 12th fret. Position. God, I feel like multi now, complaining about losing my fucking hand. Given the uh, lecture. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it's ridiculous. Like complaining about you losing it's my ridiculous. fucking hand. All right. Let's forge on with my fucked up finger. You know, I'm just glad it's not the middle finger. I wouldn't be able to drive in New Jersey. Just saying. All right. Go ahead. Um, have you, uh, you ever use your second finger for bending? Uh, bending like how so? You mean like hammer on? Uh... No. Um, let's go to the 12th fret now. Here's what I mean. Is that like, let, let's say you've already done, let's, we'll do our, our regular 
Now we're not going to call it the Chuck Berry lick now. We're now going to call it the Thunder's lick. And we're okay. going to go. So this, it's, yeah. So these two notes is flat. And then you, you bend that, you bend the G string. Yeah. Now, that, that's what I'm talking about, the second finger, right? Yeah. Now, one thing I'm noticing, like, so if I'm looking at your bending, like, I can see that your second finger is bent the way it's supposed to be. But now, if you look at, but if you watch me, you see that I'm a little bit more, I'm a little bit more right on the tip, and the finger's a little more bent. Okay. Like, it's a little more, it's the same thing you were doing, it's just a little bit more specific. Yeah. More like that, you mean? Yeah. 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 And what it really is, is it's more like, um, this is the Ross the Boss thing, is like when you see this, and you can see it in, in uh, you know, B.B. Uh, King videos, Stevie Ray Vaughan, anyone that can bend strings and got famous for it. Um, the art, there's so, so much on the tip and bent, but the trick is with this blues strangling grip, because of this diagonal thing, it makes it look like everything's kind of loose and sloppy. Well, sloppy might not be the word, but like, like relaxed. But the thing is, you still gotta, to do the bends, you still have to get right on that fingertip. Yeah, like right on the, in the sweet spot of the tip. Yeah. 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 Now, My here, here would be like a thing is that like, um, now that, that is basically, when we're talking about working on technique, this was one of the things, um, this is what uh, Richard Lloyd calls the look at me lick, which is, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at me. That's called the look at me lick. So something like this, and what I'm doing is bending to that note. Yeah. Now, now just watch where I'm letting go. You see how I'm letting go. You see how I'm letting my finger go once I'm hitting the B string? The second finger? Which finger? Yeah, the second finger. Yeah, like you see how your finger doesn't want to lift off? Yeah, the second Th finger. That's want to lift exactly off. like that's a perfect example of technique. Technique and something that's totally practicable because what you're doing is that's um let me try it without the bend oh, first if i just yeah. go like mm -hmm. so you're doing that with a bend and it's essentially yeah. it yeah that's exactly it yeah i mean really now and then we can take now we we can come all the way back to Chuck Berry because after all the things that we already played so far, so I'll just play up to how far we got, which is now in this part. So basically. 
Yeah. See, that's the same thing that we were working on up there. Yeah. And the only difference is, is that since Chuck Berry now, besides that there, this was rock and roll being invented or whatever. Yes. One of the things about that lick is if you listen to Chuck play it, he mostly really just hits in this, you know, in Johnny Be Good in the intro, he's mostly just hitting just those two notes, not even the top string. Now, the, what you want to get is that every time you bend, you're you're bending this note to match that note. Yeah. So now a lot of the trick to making that sound clean and tight. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you listen to yourself, and when you go back and listen on tape, yes, you can listen to the variation in um, how clean the stops are when you stop the bend, and how much you're nailing the pitch when you stop the bend. Like okay. those are the two technical things. Um, but the thing that we were doing up here, if I'm going like, like that's the souped-up post Hendrix, you know, um, Voodoo Child, whatever, like like version. But what I'm saying is kind of like if you if you already started from this and you're saying like that was a Chuck Berry like you're familiar with, the difference between that and then the souped up rock thing, the thing that why you can do one and not the other is to get that to really start rolling, that's where the technique has to come up. Do it again? Yeah, sure. Um Okay, here's here's one. Um, kiss fan, not a kiss fan. Not so much. Did you think I, I kiss alive? You know, yeah, yeah kiss I was. Alive? No, no, I was not feeling kiss back in the day. You I apologize. I know. I will. I'm so no, you, sorry. no, no, no. Here's the thing. Don't um, hate me. I know no, you love Ace. I don't know I the difference. Have a guitar with three pickups. I should be ashamed. I don't know the difference in our ages, but I'm 53. Okay, see. You're too old to like Kiss. Oh, that's it. Because, see, I'm 47. And here's my thing. Yes. Everyone that is either four years or more older than me or four years younger than me does not give a fuck about Kiss, and nor should they. Okay. Except for Bill Sharensky, who I don't know if you know him. I don't know him. He is an old guy. He's even older than you. Oh, my God. And he loves that's Kiss. That's not possible. And he's... He, 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 but that's... Oh, see, that's... A, but anyway, there's... Um, uh, for the fans, there's a, mil- a part in the, in, the, in, the, in the middle of Kiss Alive where Ace takes like this crappy like stadium solo, and here's what he does is like he he works up the neck by going. Yeah, the crowd goes wild, and then he reaches the twelfth fret, and then he starts doing this. He goes. And he starts doing. The- And he just does it until it just becomes pure noise. The crowd goes wild. But that was like one of those licks that when I was a kid, a million years before I ever played guitar. You wanted to know how he did it. You were like, how does he do that? What? Not even no. that. No, it was just no. in my head. <laughs> it was just in my head. Although, but Ace, when I did start playing guitar, um, partially, because, well, partially because I'd listened to it so much when I was a kid 
that all of his licks were in his solos were just embedded. Like I just had them in my mind. And Ace happens to be an excellent lead guitar player, but somewhat approachable. Like he's not like a technical monster. Right. But he's really good. He did everything right. Um, and he also had all the cliches correct. But that one is a hilarious one because, you know, you hear this great, it's a middle centerpiece of Kiss Alive. And then what you learn was he just like dragged out the most like cliche of cliche licks. See, that's why I was never was, a Kiss uh, fan because I always like, it's so goddamn basic. When, yeah. When he's, and I was, th- I was like listening to Steve Howe and listening to Jimmy Page yeah. and listening to Ariel Bender, for God's sake. I was listening to these guys where I was like, their technique is so far, you know, above what he's doing. And it just, and maybe back in that moment, there was something about, you know, the spectacle of Kiss and the people who liked Kiss in my high school yeah. that I wanted nothing to do with them. If, if it was more or less just like purely musically, I might have had more feeling yeah, for them. I don't but give I, them that much credit because here's the thing is, see, when I was getting into Kiss, the year was 1975 into 76, 75 into 76 when Kiss Alive and Destroyer came out. I was eight and you were 15. If I was 15 when Kiss came out, I might have thought it was pretty fucking whack. But I was eight. And, so and I loved rock. it blew your little mind. It was the first thing I was into after the fucking Osmonds and Bay City Rollers. Like, yeah. you know, it was the Osmonds because he had the Donnie and Marie show and they play Crazy Horses. I loved that. And then I loved the Bay City Rollers because the Saturday night was on Wonderama. And then you had the commercial for Kiss Alive. That was the third thing I liked. But that was why grown-ups don't like Kiss. They're not supposed to. All right. Now that we've explained why grown-ups aren't supposed to like Kiss, um, uh, where do you think we are right now? I mean, is this good? Is this a good place to uh, perhaps pick up again next time, or do you want sure. to keep going um, with uh, something here? We could. I would say because I'm at an hour and fifteen minutes. That's a nice long episode. Let's pick it up next time, and let's let make next time the boring, the boring episode. Okay. What? Why boring? What, because what, next time, because... All, all technique. All right. So, all technique. Just learning how to do stuff like that thing that you just did. Yeah, know? talking about uh, yeah, talking about learning scales and like um, what one of the themes can be. Um, uh, to we can talk about next time about practicing technique. Yeah, is that an underrated um, concept? Is that if you take anything like on the guitar, like that you aspire to be able to do or practice, and you really get it. Like, like you own it, like it is yours. You nail it, and you yeah. nail it. You have raised your level of playing, and it doesn't matter. And that gets back to that thing when I talk about people think they need to know more. That's a lot of why people are, in you know, uh, maybe it's they are averse to getting into the idea of practicing scales because it's like, oh, well, that becomes a million different things I have to do. It's like if you learn how to do like any one thing right. It will always make everything else you do in the future more right, no matter how far you go or not. Um, like another example, that makes like, sense. here's the thing: is like like an underrated guitar player by some would be Johnny Ramone. Is no one, and I fucking promise you, no one realizes how nobody can play bar chords like that guy. They can't play the right. They can't downstroke like him. They can't have the stamina of their left hand to hold the notes down the way he did they can't get the clarity they can't keep the guitar in tune but you know johnny ramone only did that yes <laughs> but he did it perfect and no one could do it as good 
And the thing is, Johnny Ramone is as good as Jimi Hendrix in a certain sense. <laughs> in the same sense that Bob Dylan is as good a singer as Caruso, which right. Dylan said in Don't Look Back. But that's, that's true, and in in, in there's a way that that's true. And that's what it's about. Like, Johnny Ramone did that perfect. No other even punk rock bands could do it as good as him. I mean, even the good ones, like the Sex Pistols or the Dead Boys or whoever. But the Sex Pistols and the Dead Boys had more other things. They had more rock and roll elements, more New York I love Steve legs. Jones playing. Oh, me way. too. I mean, Absolutely. I'm a big, big Steve Jones fan. Absolutely. Well, that's another. that would be yes. one, too, we could talk about. Yeah, let's, we could definitely talk about him because I thought in terms of his Chuck Berry, Johnny Thunders thing, yep. he brought it to another place. And, yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. I also think he's, he's underrated. Yeah. Wow. I Finally, something I could say to him if I ever meet him. You're very underrated. Oh. You know that? Yeah, yeah. You, that, well, yes, I wonder what right. his response would be. Do you think it'd be like, fuck you? or? I think I get the impression. I mean, I never met him, but um, he seems like he's just the coolest fucking guy. Have you seen him turn up on Portlandia? He's always like... I, I don't remember, unless I'm missing the episodes, because I thought I saw the Portlandias, but... Uh, he was on a couple of seasons ago. He he, you know that episode where they go out for brunch and yes, they yes, go no, to I the totally new place. That. Yeah, and it yeah. was like a half hour. It was the a line. episode long episode. Yeah, yeah, they're waiting. He's line, one okay. of the guys in that episode that's sort of like protecting the king of brunch. I might things. not even recognize. You wouldn't have recognized. Oh, that that's it. But he, it's Steve Jones. That's brilliant. Yes. Brilliant. I just wanted to end with something that nice. sounds kind of like what I know what I'm doing. Play some AOD for me. What have you learned on the uh, well, you AOD? Know, okay, uh, well, it's funny because <laughs> um, I'm playing bass on it, right? Um, so I'm gonna, I'll just go out on a limb and see what I can remember. <laughs> the big song was, you know, the. Um... Can you name that tune? I can't. It's called AOD versus Godzilla. Okay. And now that has a bunch of guitar stuff. The bass just plays the E the whole time, but. But so the fast part goes like, um, and then you kick into a white hassle. <laughs> Next one at the window, number 38, two body well, I gotta say, Bruce and, Bruce and Paul have always been two of my favorite guitar players. I've always, I always enjoyed when we did shows with AOD, and uh, it, you know, I've talked about this before, but um, as we begin to pack up, I, you know, one of the difficulties with being in the Nihilistics was um, Mike, especially, the, you know, may he rest in peace. Um, was very competitive, a very competitive guy, and he viewed every other band uh, as as the competition, and we were there to destroy them. And so when I would try to get friendly, like with the guys in AOD or the guys in the Misguided or whoever yeah, it was, yeah. he couldn't understand why. You know, He would just ridicule me. It would just be a case of like, ah, they suck, and their music sucks, and they, you know. And whenever we would play with AOD, we were always like, he was always of the mind, and it wasn't so much Ron, yeah. you know, the singer, because Ron was just trying to 
get laid or you know get drugs the or Vince whatever. Neil of nihilism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Ron Mike was, was the Nikki Six. Ron was generally you know a, a, a happy-go-lucky guy who just liked to fuck with people. Yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. mindless pranks. And yeah. Troy was you know the being the drummer was off doing God knows whatever drummer does, and so he wasn't even. <laughs> That's so racist. But, but it is. It's <laughs> racist. It's sexist. It's everything. But Mike especially, you know, and I know I'm going off on a tangent here for a yeah, second. Yeah, but Mike especially would be like, you know, discounting bands like AOD because he just thought they were just goofing around. And to him, punk rock was a deadly serious thing. Like, it, you couldn't laugh about it. It wasn't fun. It wasn't supposed to be fun. It was deadly serious, you know stuff that you were doing and if a band like aod came along and did like the wacky hijinks or sang about white castle or whatever he just thought it was like it, they were just having having a having a laugh well you know what i mean oh of and, course, and sure. of course they were i mean and i i wish sometimes like i would look on at that and wish sometimes that we could be more like you know like that but we were never i'll tell you man we the were never going to be i think was a lot funnier than you meant to be at times because uh, oh, it was so own... over the top. It was so over the top that it's like... Yeah, well, the humor came out of how seriously we took it. It's like if you... But also the, the things that are said in those lyrics, like, you know, um, uh, not not to want to go into politics, but you know how people are always, always like, you know, it's like Trump. He says these worst, most horrible things that no one should say, but a lot of people do think. Right. Nihilistics. <laughs> like it, like the lyrics, it just the most, the most offensive possible things, the most anti, the most negative. And the thing is, as a rebellious teenager... Like loving it, feeling the anger, identifying with it, but at the same time, it's like, well, these guys, these guys are nuts. Like, because all the bands were angry, but uh, but what I would want to say about that competition aspect, the competitive aspect, the, yes, is that um, with AOD, um, when I was in Pleased Youth, um, you know, AOD was the big band, so like that basically AOD was the competition. Like that's who you would measure yourself against, um, and. And the thing is, when you talk about like the idea of it being a competition among bands, especially when you're younger, there's definitely, I think, a healthy side to that that can also be friendly. And with um, Pleased Youth and AOD, we were always trying to, you know, be as good as AOD or come up with our own thing in some way to be to be really good. And I remember when um, AOD had just come out with like one of their like, if it must be Tuesday, it must be Walla Walla, one of their one of the second album songs right and they did it for the first time live and it was a show that pleased youth was playing with them and i said to paul like man oh that new song is great and paul's like well you know how it is man you know you guys just wrote a fucking great song now we gotta write a great song you know it was like the beatles stones right. thing, right, like right, right, where right. it's like yeah. it, you want the competition and you want you want to be pushed like in other words you want someone to drive you that way yes is is uh, I, how I, put it. I definitely think there was that. There was definitely that going on, but there was also just a lot of hostility going. Yeah, on, yeah. unfortunately, a lot of it was just uh, plainly hostile because Mike Mike was a hostile guy. I mean, you weren't called no the nihilistics for no reason. No, you yeah. weren't fronting. I like doing that. That's fine. All right, I'm going to work on my technique All before right, the next time you uh, uh, get down here in the basement. Thanks again to Keith Hartel. Where can people reach you if they want to take a lesson, by the way? What's the best way to get they in touch with do, you they on can Facebook? Message or? me on Facebook. My name is Keith Hartel. H-A-R-T-E-L. It, yeah, if you've clicked on this, you've, my name is probably written somewhere. 
Um, so you can uh, message me on Facebook, and um, I teach at Guitar Bar in Hoboken on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Call the Guitar Bar. Ask for Keith. Demand Keith. Ask for him <laughs> by name. Only ask for him by name. Don't. Or, it's like Carl Amer used to say: Don't buy meat by the pound. Buy meat by the name. Yes. And, Don't uh, buy guitar lessons by the pound. To be totally uh, 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 fair, if someone did happen to wish to take guitar lessons at Guitar Bar and they weren't able to meet at my schedule, I do endorse all the other teachers of Guitar Bar. They're fine But people you're also traveling to people's homes. And... I will do that if I have to, yes. Or if it's my... Yes, yes. I will make special arrangements for people, yes. If, if they message me, I'm willing to make special arrangements, cut deals, um, Skype, whatever. Whatever. All right. Hey, man, uh, thanks again for, for doing this. There goes Keith Hartel, and see him next performing with AOD, what, this Friday? This Friday. Uh, which would be... The 23rd. This podcast might be up already by then, hopefully. Uh, the 23rd of October at the Bowery Electric. At Bowery Electric. Where Jack Steeples uh, will not tread. He is protesting. And that's the one show you're doing with them. And then what else is next for you? Any other projects off in the future or uh, um, things that you're working on? Got a, well, these, the, uh, oh, well, I'm working on um, some new Swing and Neckbreakers songs with Tom Jorgensen from the Swing and Neckbreakers. Oh, excellent. Big and, fan, big, big fan. Oh, the new, there's some new shit. The new shit is really fucking, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. All right. Thanks, Keith. Let's pack all this shit away. What do you say? All right. All let's right. do that. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. When the devil told you something like that? Well, there's this uh, website. WFMU.org.